This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, May 11th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. The Second Circuit Federal Appeals Court has ruled that the wholesale collection of Americans' phone records is illegal and not in line with the text and meaning of the Patriot Act. Julian Sanchez, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, breaks down what this means for courts and the current legislative battle over surveillance. So the Second Circuit has declared the uh, metadata program, the infamous bulk telephone records program disclosed first by Edward Snowden nearly two years ago, to be unlawful. Uh, They did not reach the question of whether it's constitutional, um, which because of some bad precedents from the late 70s is a a more difficult question than it ought to be, uh, legally speaking. Uh, The much easier question, I think, uh, for a lot of folks was, did it violate the statute? Was this was this a program that had been authorized even by the very broad uh, authorities conveyed by the Patriot Act? Uh, and even a lot of folks who are generally pretty pro-expansive uh, surveillance powers uh, looked at that uh, that interpretation, where you had an authority, Section 215, saying uh, you can get records or tangible things that are relevant to an investigation. The secret FISA court interpreting that to mean you can get an entire database so you can later search it for the relevant things and said, well, that seems like an awful stretch. Obviously, James Sensenbrenner, one of the authors of the Patriot Act, uh, believed that this was an abusive uh, uh, extension beyond what Congress had intended. And so the Second Circuit – came to that conclusion. Uh, you know, not, not very surprisingly, it turns out when you don't just have a secret court that only hears arguments from one side, uh, you get different results than, uh, than you do when you rely exclusively on that kind of court. Uh, and in a way, nothing here should be terribly surprising. They very naturally uh, looked at the statute and said, you know what? Uh, Relevance is a standard that exists in a whole lot of statutes, not just in intelligence, but also in uh, ordinary criminal investigations, uh, authorities to get records in uh, in those types of investigations. It's the standard that usually applies to grand jury subpoenas. Uh, and they simply asked, well, can we ever find a case uh, going back over uh, – the, the, the past four or five decades where anyone for an instant believed that under a standard of relevance, you could get every American's phone records. Uh, and the answer, of course, was no. Um, and they looked, in fact, at some of the broadest cases the government could dredge up. Well, there was this one case they find where uh, at a uh, inner city motel uh, Western Union kiosk in Detroit in the 80s, um, they went back for a year and got all the wires, all the monetary wires, over $1,000 in 1982 money. And so this was actually quite broad, probably brought in a lot of people. Um, but on the other hand, at an inner city Detroit motel, wires in that amount are, you know, frankly, very often related to drug activity. So it was still, in a sense, calculated to return stuff that was likely to be related to an investigation. So they said, look, that's that's the most expansive case the government could bring forward. There was just nothing on the record uh, suggesting that uh, on the standard of relevance, you could do the kind of thing NSA has been doing for the last uh, for the last eight years. But even in that case, there was a narrowing 
effect yeah. on that on the, re- the request itself was narrow by definition of not including everything. Right. So it was certainly was narrower than everything. So unsurprising, what we have here is is uh, is the court saying, look, all along the argument in the legislative history here was. Um, well, we want the FBI in intelligence investigations to have powers that are comparable to a grand jury subpoena. And the court very simply said, there is just no grand jury subpoena ever that looks like this. It looks like uh, what the court has done. And that the statute internally becomes totally incoherent if you allow this. I mean, it, it talks about using uh, records that are relevant to an investigation, but it can't be a threat assessment, a kind of very preliminary investigation. It's got to be a more uh, advanced stage of investigation based on evidence. And of course, as the court points out, well, it would make no sense at all for Congress to limit uh, the power to obtain records to a certain uh, kind of investigation if, in fact, you can just get all the records because those would be equally relevant to any investigation. Um, so, you know, very much tracking the logic of the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board, uh, which had a very thorough discussion of the uh, statutory uh, interpretation here. Um, they kicked this back to a district court uh, saying, in effect, uh, they're not going to stop the pro- – they're not going to issue an injunction on the, uh, on the bulk collection program, but they're um, – passing it back to a lower court for further proceedings, which means for the moment, this is sort of symbolic. I mean, the, the, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court is not at this stage bound by uh, the Second Circuit's interpretation, so they probably will take it into account, but they could, in principle, for the moment at least, continue issuing, um, issuing these broad orders, although at some point one could imagine that the um, Either the Second Circuit or some other court would um, take the additional step of issuing an injunction, which um, creates uh, certainly a great deal of uncertainty. I think radically alters the debate in Congress that's ongoing over reform to these authorities. So now that Congress is debating uh, whether and how to reform certain uh, surveillance authorities, what does this do to that debate? Well, I mean, so there's a fascinating. Uh, trick of timing here. One of the issues the Second Circuit takes up is the FISA court's use of what's called the ratification doctrine. Now, the idea here, and it's pretty sensible in most cases, is uh, if the courts have interpreted legislative language in a particular way, then it is assumed in the future going forward that if Congress uses the same language, um, that they do so understanding how the courts have interpreted it and the, uh, the legislative decision to use that, that language should be understood as incorporating uh, the judicial ruling. And that works fine in most cases, even though, of course, often congressmen are not that well informed about judicial proceedings. Um, but it was sort of ridiculous when you consider applying this to a highly classified program that uh, really – Many members of Congress were not aware of. Um, many more were only in the slightest sort of most cursory way aware of. And in particular, when you consider it, the doctrine really is about legal interpretations, not specific programs. So the idea here was – and no members of Congress, as far as we're aware, had actually read the legal interpretations uh, of the statute that justified these programs. So um, it was certainly quite bizarre, uh, I think, to suggest that – uh, by reauthorizing Section 215 of the Patriot Act, 
um, the legal reasoning of the FISC, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, had been ratified by a Congress that, of course, um, was not aware of it. And even if some members were aware, there had been no public debate over it. So it hadn't been, you know, uh, it wasn't something that there had been an opportunity for citizens to have feedback to Congress on. Uh, and of course, the Second Circuit, I think, again, very commonsensically said you can't use the ratification doctrine to, uh, when you're talking about a totally secret program and secret interpretations. However, uh, the trick here is um, now that this is largely public, I think you would have a much better case if sometime this month Congress had just reauthorized, as, as, majority, as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell would like, just reauthorized 215 with no changes, then you would have a pretty good argument that Congress had uh, incorporated the Fisk's interpretation of, uh, of relevance. But uh, now that the Second Circuit is ruled, you don't have just one uniform judicial interpretation, which means now uh, there isn't that same kind of hope for the ratification uh, doctrine to uh, read a straight unmodified reauthorization as blessing these bulk collection activities. And so as a result, this, this puts uh, the sort of opponents of reform, the nothing to see here, uh, business as usual caucus, in an awkward position because uh, what McConnell and Marco Rubio and others have been saying, uh, you know, falsely of course, is, well, this is a very important program. Uh, we need to reauthorize all the evidence, of course. Multiple independent reviews say this has not been a useful program. The intelligence community is ready essentially to give up on it um, and, and transition to the uh, more controlled uh, model uh, specified in the USA Freedom Act. But you know, they've been claiming, well, we need to reauthorize this because this is such an important program. Uh, of course, now it's not at all clear that the reauthorization bill they have proposed accomplishes that anymore now that the Second Circuit has weighed in. So ironically, if you're Mitch McConnell and you want to preserve some version of this program because you um, confusedly believe it to be important, uh, in a way now the reform legislation gives you the best shot at that, not because it preserves mass collection by NSA. It doesn't. It bars that kind of bulk collection. But the USA Freedom Act at least has a kind of streamlined process by which uh, uh, you know, again, on the traditional model, they can go to the court with specific numbers and go to the telecommunication providers with specific numbers they want to uh, get information on. But it provides this streamlined mechanism so they can quickly uh, essentially require the providers to provide technical assistance, the telecommunications carriers, to communicate with each other and be able to sort of spit out in a, um, a common format, uh, a uniform format. Uh, records that they can quickly cross-index. So when they come in with those requests, they say, here's the number we want information about. They can quickly get back that person's phone records and the records of the people in immediate contact with their suspect, uh, provided that this is a, a number that they have reasonable suspicion is linked to a foreign terror group. Um, now that the Second Circuit has spoken, if there's straight reauthorization, perhaps the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court keeps allowing bulk collection initially, but you have uh, a, a much higher likelihood now that a reauthorization without reform leaves you with the Second Circuit's narrower understanding of relevance that forbids this, puts them back on uh, relying on individualized orders to get records from the carriers, 
And then the question is, well, is it just they can get individual orders from the carriers like any uh, individualized records from the carriers like any police department can? Um, or do they get that plus the streamlined mechanism to be able to do that more quickly? Um, so now it seems like if you're arguing that what's really important is that uh, NSA be able to, to, to uh, query these records in, in a very rapid and agile way, um, you get more certainty of that with reform. So what is the importance of standing in this decision? Uh, standing is, is the uh, shoal on which uh, challenges in court to surveillance often founder, of course, to uh, establish your right to challenge uh, government action, whether it's a statute or a, a government program. It's particularly when it's a violation of your rights that you cannot observe. Right, especially with something like, uh, like surveillance, which by its nature uh, you often or usually need to be told about. Um, uh, but, but standing has been, has been difficult in a variety of cases, perhaps most famously uh, uh, Clapper v. Amnesty International uh, before the Supreme Court. Um, the, the problem there is, again, there's sort of a catch-22. The courts will say, well, you have to be able to show you've been uh, you've actually been spied upon. It's a top-secret classified program, even if you have excellent reason to think you're very likely um, as a, a group like Amnesty International or uh, a law firm that does, uh, represents uh, foreign groups that might be targeted. Um, if you can't prove it, you can't show that you've been harmed or affected by the program, and therefore uh, you, you have no right to, to have your day in court to vindicate your rights. And the government tried again to a use standing here to block a suit because of the Snowden leaks and because of the government's own admission uh, that the NSA bulk program exists. Uh, at least they, there wasn't much question that uh, if you were you know, a, custom, a customer of certain major telephone carriers, your records would have been swept in. Uh, the government had hoped they could uh, play a card they've played in various contexts in the past, which is present the idea that, well, if all we do is collect the data and have it in a database and only a computer ever looks at it, uh, you haven't really been harmed. Your privacy hasn't been affected. It's only when uh, a human being actually reviews that or the government uses the information against you in some way uh, that you have uh, a privacy harm that, that is uh, sufficient to grant standing uh, to challenge that in court. And the court said no. Uh, essentially, that's not how we do it here. If you look back at, uh, for example, uh, decades of wiretap law, it's always been understood that, um, and you know, wiretap law governing you know ordinary ordinary people who try to illegally record uh, other other people's conversations, um, that the violation happens when the recording happens, even if. Uh, you know, you bury it in a chest and never listen to it. So does this give some good reason to believe that cases like this will be brought a little more confidently? Well, yeah, this is certainly not the only challenge to the 215 program. There are uh, other spending, but again, other circuits are not bound by uh, the Second Circuit's reasoning. But in general, courts will sort of look at what other, certainly at least high-level federal appellate courts have, uh, have ruled and take that reasoning into account. And so I think uh, you get you get some momentum here that makes it more likely we'll see uh, wh whether or not the FISC chooses to uh, to follow this logic, uh, a precedent that's going to make it easier for any cell, uh, cell phone company or, or, or telephone company that wants to challenge it to 
uh, say, well, why why do we have to comply with these orders now? We've you know, uh, if, if if this is a statute doesn't allow it. Julian Sanchez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.